All right, everybody, if you want to grab a seat, I encourage you to continue that conversation after um, we, get, we get done singing here today. We got treats and coffee out in the um, hallway. We are glad you're here. My name's Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church, and uh, very excited you're here. I was excited just to find this photo of a lion, a girl hugging a lion. I don't know what that'd be from. It can't be real. I picked that one because I think it's kind of cool. Um, does, that, does that count? That's like my junior high boy answer. It's cool. So I picked that one. Um, we're really glad you're here. There's something I was excited to tell you about that's happening this week before we get into our uh, sermon this week. Um, our very own Noah, this is Noah Servio. I've known Noah for a very long time since he was actually, I think, a junior high uh, man, uh, boy. This week um, is our, our, our monthly, a monthly happening. Every month, there's a group of people from Hope who get together on Zoom, uh, and not just together, um, like people from the, our locations here in the Twin Cities, but people from all over the world hop on there, uh, missionaries and church planters from all over, hop on our Zoom call, and we get a little update on what's happening, what God's doing um, there, and also even with ministry partners. And so it's just a place once a month to get to hear kind of what God's doing in our ministry partners or through missionaries. And Noah, one of our very own here at Hope Heights, he currently is at NDSU up in Fargo, is going on a trip this summer to Alaska to do some pretty cool work and uh, is going to get to share a little bit. So just want to highlight it a little extra this month. Love to have you hop on the call. It's just a short call. We all hop on wherever we are um, and hear what God's doing and get to pray together. It's always a real big encouragement for me. Um, and this month, especially, we get to hear a little bit of what Noah's doing and pray for him. So encourage you to hop on that. That is... Um, in our weekly updates, there's a link to that Zoom call. Um, and so if also, if you ever need to, you can always email me, drew at hopecc.com. Um, and so we haven't been putting that in the app only for a little bit for security reasons, because some of the people on the call uh, don't want uh, everything real public because of where they are. And so you can find a link to that Zoom call on our weekly update, um, or you can email me. But we'd love to see you there. It'd be a huge encouragement to him to see some friend, friendly faces and pray for him. Um, all right, I'm excited this week. We're going to do a little, uh, again, this month, we've been just taking some extra time to celebrate Black History. And this week, I'm very excited. Someone I've been really excited to, uh, to celebrate. I actually have a shirt for him. If you've noticed, if you're wondering who's the weird golden person on my shirt, I can't wait to tell you about this person. Um, and this has a great story and maybe a little history, uh, a little broader history that you're even, uh, maybe you're unaware of or just a reminder for me, this is something that's really encouraged me um, about the history of the church that, that I didn't really know much about in my life. We're going to start here with this uh, manuscript that was just found actually not too long ago. This is actually from the book, The Gospel of Mark. So this is a very early writing of the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's cool. This makes me thankful for like my, my Bible. That's just like all put together in paper and I can read it really clearly. And it's not like a shrap of a scrap of something. Um, and this is uh, put together by Mark. Here's a photograph of Mark who wrote uh, the gospel of Mark. Uh, and why, why Mark I think is fascinating. And I've loved learning history of Mark is that Mark was one of the first um, quickly to go to Egypt and to North Africa and start planting churches. So my mind often, uh, I, I thought uh, Jesus came and he died and he rose. And uh, then his disciples like went out to tell people about him and start churches. And, and that multiplied and, you know, two, for 2000 years it's happened. And today we're in a church in Columbia Heights. But I often don't think that people would have just went south a little bit into Africa. 
And uh, it's really fun to know the history here that Mark went, planted churches. He wrote the book of Mark. He made disciples. Um, in fact, he built churches in Alexandria. So there's a map um, that, that shows about uh, like at around three to 500 year mark. There's churches all over the place. But this is what I think is really cool. That Mark started out here, right? Uh, in this area, and he moved down to Alexandria. And at one point in early church history, the church in Alexandria in North Africa was the largest population of Christian churches in the world. I often think like Rome must be the place. It, there's an enormous amount of uh, churches being planted and people spreading the gospel. And it moved throughout Northern Africa. And through that, we got the history as churches were planted and people grew up in churches and had kids uh, and planted more churches. It wasn't very long that we got people like this. This is Augustine. You can tell that all the old uh, pictures all look the same. <laughs> Not this guy. This is Augustine uh, or Augustine um, he, from North Africa, actually. You, probably, you may have heard of him. He's actually one of like, the founding fathers in the church. He, he's written a bunch of things. We all, he's often quoted by people in all different uh, walks of Christianity. He, he actually came out of North Africa and went north into Europe. And uh, the guy that I've been really encouraged by lately... Uh, was born in the early 300s in Alexandria, and his name is Athanasius. They're not brothers. I mean, through Jesus, but not <laughs> brothers. I, I love learning the story of Athanasius. And so today we're going to celebrate in Black history uh, Athanasius. We're going to go way back um, to the year 300 about and celebrate this guy who we know as Athanasius of Alexandria. He actually was born there and grew up there. He uh, is known because he fought hard for the divinity of Jesus. At the time, there was church leaders and other bishops in the church who were saying that maybe Jesus was just created by God and sent like a prophet uh, or just a, as a person, as a man, um, but wasn't necessarily divine. And Athanasius was saying, in scripture, it looks like and, the, and the, what the tradition we've learned, in fact, at that point, we didn't even really have all of scripture in the way we have it. What we see is that Jesus is, seems to be fully man and fully God, which is really hard to understand, but we, he seems to be both and it seems to be really important. And so he fought for that. He actually lived under a death sentence by the state for a while because of this view. He was exiled five different times by four different emperors. Oftentimes they would die. And so then he would get to like come back to Alexandria. He stood trial he was accused of things like murder and adultery and theft and sorcery. At one point, he, they tried to kill him because he was a, like a witch. He was hunted down as a fugitive. He lived uh, like out in the country with some monks. But he continued to fight for this and say, no, this is so important to the church. And especially as the church was just starting, just hundreds of years into its existence, he was saying this is really, really important. In fact, there's a story or a legend that... Um, some people were, police were looking for him and they came upon him, but were un, didn't know who he was. There weren't like photographs. So they had a description. They weren't sure. And they said, hey, have you seen Athanasius? This is him. They meet. And he says, yes, I have seen Athanasius. And they say, is he far? And he says, no, he's very close. And they said, good, we'll hurry and find him. And they ran off. He shares a story to share like how God just continued to protect him and keep him alive. And he continued to fight uh, for the divinity of Christ, which is a big deal. I mean, we might think now like, well, yeah, we're in a church. Yeah, Jesus was God. 
maybe you'd think that. Uh, but this is a guy who early on in the church history, as we saw all of the church starting to think maybe Jesus isn't God. He's just like a great man. He fought very hard, willing to risk his life uh, for that. I think it's pretty incredible. He wrote a lot about incarnation, which is the term we use for Jesus coming as a person. And so I, I just want to be able to celebrate him today. And it, we're going to come back to him because this question of why would it be important that Jesus came as a person, why, why is that even important? Why would someone risk their life? Why would someone over and over move back into danger to fight for that? Why would someone say, hey, as a bishop in this church, I'm not, we're not going to let this slide. This is so crucial to, to the history of the church and so crucial to what we believe uh, in what Jesus did. Um, and so we're going to look at that. Today's passage in Ephesians speaks to that and reminds us of that. And so we're going to celebrate Athanasius in his and continue his legacy uh, and really just scripture's legacy of, of uh, Jesus coming and why that's so important. So we're in the book of Ephesians. And today we get to start with some really bad news. Everyone excited? We'll give you the bad news first. So this is Ephesians 2. We've been uh, working through Ephesians. We just got finished with the chapter one and it just celebrated how good God is, how he's adopted us. He's made us uh, sons and daughters. He's given us the Holy Spirit and inheritance. He's given us life to do good works. God has raised us with Christ. It's, it's really good news. And then for a moment here, Paul takes a little, uh, a little pause, a little moment to go, let's not forget though, where you were. Let's not forget the really bad news. So I'll just read the, just a few verses this week. I'll just read them to us and then we'll kind of walk through them together. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. As for you, remember he just told us you're loved and there's this, this glorious grace that God has poured on you. And he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, uh, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's some bad news. We were dead. We deserved wrath. We seem to follow some type of ruler of kingdom of air. We're disobedient, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following our desires and thoughts, which all brought this wrath, this punishment, this, uh, this distance from God, this separation from God. And so let's walk through this a little bit. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He just told us we were, we were called sons and daughters we're given the Holy Spirit. We have this great inheritance, this great amount of love and mercy. This word lavish was used. He says, but you were dead because of transgressions and because of sins. Those are actually interesting here. He uses two words. He doesn't just say because of your sins, which sometimes we hear that word sin and we think those are bad things that we do. Here, these two words are used to kind of connect two different ways that we see ourselves turning from God. Transgressions can be more of like a breaking of a moral law. They can be more, even more intentional. Um, like those are the things you think of when you think of, I did something bad necessarily. I, I knew that I was doing this thing that God did not want or do this thing against someone. And sin here can almost be representing like a state of brokenness. This thing we're just born into, kind of this just the, the way we are. 
So it's not even necessarily a thing we intentionally are doing. It's just you're, you're turning from God. You're doing these things you're not called to do. God doesn't want you doing. And you're also just, you're just broken. You're in the state of brokenness and you're dead. Not, not like you're, you're just broken and you need fixing. He uses the word dead here and the word dead here means dead, lifeless. Not doing anything. Don't bring anything. Uh, lifeless. It's really important we see this. You're not helpful, like in any way. You're dead. I, I don't think this concept is very hard to understand, at least in some aspect. Maybe the real weight of this is hard to get to, but just the, the culture we're in now, this tends to kind of be a thing we, we almost uh, can celebrate at times, pushing people to this like place, this location culturally that they're kind of dead to us. I was actually just at a thrift store uh, uh, this weekend, uh, just a few days ago. We went to Wisconsin to visit family and my mom has this like stellar gift uh, thrift store in town. It's run by all these sweet Catholic ladies and everything is like super cheap. And it's awesome. You end up finding like cool things there that you wouldn't find other places because they're in a small town in Wisconsin. And um, at least I find weird games and things there. And I was trying to get into the game aisle and there was two people having an argument. Like uh, I thought they were joking around and then I realized it was like heated and they were arguing over <laughs> if Uno or Skip Bow was better. Do you know these games? <laughs> And I walked into the aisle just as the guy said, we're an Uno house and an Uno house only. And she said, have you played Skippo? And they're arguing because like there were boxes of like card games and there was a bunch of old Uno and Skippo games. And she said, oh, I grew up with Skippo. We're a Skippo only family. And then they started, I was trying to like shimmy behind them <laughs> to look at all the games and it felt, it was very awkward. I probably should have just left them. Uh, but then I was intrigued why they would be this like hostile. And they continued to argue about why Uno or Skippo was the superior game. And then it turned into, and then it changed from even Uno and Skippo to how just silly each of them were. And some pretty mean names got thrown out. And then, and then it turned into like, you're, this is always how you are. You're always like this. <laughs> like what? This Uno is like, you're just the Uno kind of person. You're like, I don't know what's happening. Uh, and then he says to her, you're dead to me. And he walks away. <laughs> he's dead to me over Skippo. I don't, maybe this guy had a lot of money in like the Uno industry. I don't know. He was passionate about this Uno thing enough that it went from, I thought funny, you know, bickering to like real. But he said the word, the phrase, you're dead to me. And then huffed off. I assume they were like friends. I hope they weren't strangers who got into a fight in the game aisle at a thrift store. Um, but they said a phrase that I think is common that we might have all felt, or at least we live in a, in a little sense of fear at times of this, of being just called dead to people. You're dead to me, right? This, uh, like, right, we, we, we want to maybe cancel a person. We want to say, how can we figure out they're different and they're dead, they're dead to me? Maybe you just felt that. I've said something, I did something, and I'm just going to be considered dead to those people. I'm going to be considered lifeless, useless, helpless. We might be quick to want to do that. Either you might want to do that or you might feel that that's being done to you. I think that feeling of being dead very much is understandable. And this one's even heavier than that. This is your relationship with God, your, your spiritual identity. He's saying you were dead. 
That's a really big deal because when we walk into our faith, I think at least in my life, I can feel like maybe I was just kind of broken. Maybe I was swimming in an ocean and I was like, I don't have a lot longer. God, I need your help. And then he comes and he throws me a life vest and I like put it on and he pulls me in the boat and I was like, whoa, that was close. I could have died out there. He's saying, you were already dead. You were sinking to the bottom, weren't moving. You weren't able to do anything. And I dove in and grabbed you and pulled you onto the boat. You weren't helping in any way. So I think it's really important Paul's saying this because he's encouraging us that, hey, you might start thinking that you have a reason to even brag about this or you have a reason like God picked you because you were just the right fit. And he's saying you were dead. This will, this will actually be good news. I promise. Let's keep moving though. You were dead in your transgressions and sins into which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. You're dead because of this, this turning from God. Whether it's just kind of who, who we are as we turn from God, our brokenness that we're born into because of, of way, way back as Adam and Eve turned from God, all of us now, are born with that or just we've, we've just chosen to. It says, because of that, because you follow the ways of this world. What it's saying is like, you've just listened to the culture around us, the people around you and said, that's the most important way to live, not the way God has set out for me to live. And you've listened to the ruler of the kingdom of there. This is a phrase that's used in scripture to, to describe Satan, the adversary, the one who wants us to turn from God. Whatever we do, just not worship Jesus that brings life turn to whatever else, whether it's us or creation or each other or him. It says you followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit that is at work in those who are disobedient. There's a spirit, you've been, had, had your allegiance to this person that isn't Jesus, who's encouraging you to just not do what you were created to do. I really like Eugene Peterson who writes the message. He describes this passage in this way. This, this word here, actually in Ephesians that we just saw, this ruler of the kingdom of the air, this uh, of the air, this phrase, it was used in other actually Greek literature at the time. And it was, people would use it as like the air you breathe. So it's say like you actually, this could be, you breathed in the, the ruler of the kingdom of the world. So it's saying like you actually breathe this in. And, and Eugene Peterson says it like this. I love, it's just this, I can just feel this. He says, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. It's like you just breathed in this polluted air that was unbelief, that was not believing what God had for you, who you were or what creation was around you. And you exhaled disobedience. It's this, this idea we've talked about before, right? This like an overflowing, this like being filled with something and then overflowing it and being filled with the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit of disobedience. And then that being what overflows from us. And it continues on. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. So we're, we're dead because of our sin our turning from God, because of our turning to someone other than God for, for wisdom, for how to live life, which has caused disobedience, called an overflow of, of, of his ways. And he reminds us that no one gets out alive. All of us also lived among them. They think this passage might be first referring to Gentiles, non 
Jewish people saying, hey, you, you've, you've always lived away from God. And culturally and you, ethnically, your people have not worshiped God. And so this could be a point where even like if a Jewish person was listening, they go like, yeah, they aren't following God. And he says, but all of us have been doing this. He just reminds them, hey, everyone, Jew or Gentile, all of us have lived among them at one time. We've been gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We just go after what we, we want, what we feel, what, what seems to satisfy us, at least in the moment, following our desires and our thoughts. This is a passage that reminds me that comparison kills. And why? Because uh, we, we learn that we're dead because of these things. And often comparison for me is thinking, at least I'm not as bad as them or at least I'm better than them in this area. And here Paul is reminding us, all of you were dead because all of you went after whatever felt right, whatever you thought maybe was right and just good. The world might say, this brings life. In fact, when it brings death, Jesus will tell us this brings life and we'll say, no, 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 this does because this feels right or what we've been told we should pursue what feels good or what we think is good. It's the same thing that happened in the garden long time ago, right? Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he says, does God really have what's, what's best for you? I mean, really? I don't know. I think you can eat this fruit from this tree because God just doesn't want you to have everything that you want. And it brings sin and it brings death. And again, that just happens over and over again and we find ourselves dead because of that pursuit. It's really the basis of like uh, co- commercials. If you watch the Super Bowl, there's, you're excited about all these commercials, every commercial, you, there's almost a game it feels like watching to see like, what's this product? Because sometimes you don't really know to the end or you're like, what does that have to do with a car? Um, and every commercial just tells you what the problem is and how they will solve the problem, what, what your desire should be and how they will fulfill that desire, right? Good marketers know everyone has desires for certain things, a relationship uh, or or a person to date or just to feel good or maybe to escape. And so they know to to build a commercial where you go, oh, I'd love to be in that place or with those people or feel that way. Oh, I would love that. And they go, oh, I just have to drink that thing. And then there'll be a party will happen at my house, right? And we learn it doesn't, and that's just like a, a tiny version of this real, real life of following those, those desires of our flesh and finding death. And then what does all that lead to? Like the rest, all of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It's a strong word, not a word we often even use, deserving of wrath, this separation from God, this punishment for the disobedience we've had. We've committed treason against the most high king of kings, we deserve death and, it, and that's what it brings. This isn't a new thing. This is actually something mentioned in Romans 3. Paul talks about the same thing. And then he just says, hey, hey, no one's righteous without Jesus. And then he says this um, almost feels like a poem, kind of a dark poem, which is actually him just quoting a bunch of Psalms. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. 
Kind of a bummer passage. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and they, the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, those are from Psalm 53 and Psalm 5 and Psalm 140. This is like a new thing that Paul's creating. And if you're just saying, hey, people used to really be faithful and they, they weren't dead. And, and now they are, because now there's like a new thing. Back in the day, everybody was great. Remember, everything was just wonderful then. Now, though, people are really bad. This has always been happening. In fact, I love these passages because a lot of these in the Psalm, if you're reading a Psalm, you might think this is just, David talking about like his enemies. And then Paul takes these in Romans and he says, actually, all of you are these. You're actually all enemies to God, which causes you to be dead, right? I would love if, if someone just put this like on their wall, this would be great. If you walked into someone's home, these aren't really passages we like highlight. Their throats are open, grace, their tongues practice seat. Welcome to our home. And then just welcome someone in. Oh my goodness, the confusion your neighbor would have when they walked in your home. Very nice. You guys must be Christians. Not sure. That's all about. This is bad news. We're dead. We've turned away. We continue to turn away. I think if uh, the longer I have lived, the more I'm very aware of this in my life. Not, I, I don't try to always. It just kind of is me sometimes. I'm broken. And that should bring the wrath of God. That should bring distance from God. That causes death in my life. What do I bring to this rescue, this salvation? Luther was asked this once by a person, what do we contribute to salvation? He said, resistance and sin. I love it. Just to the point. What do you bring to the saving act of, uh, of bringing you into this family of God? Remember, we just were told you were adopted you're, you're, this glorious grace was poured on you. God lavished his love on you. He was, there was joy in him rescuing you. Oh, and how quick I think he, he just knows all of us in our brokenness would go, yeah, I'm pretty great. And then we might quickly even think of that person who isn't great and go like, Oof, God's not going to want them. Definitely wanted me. And so he takes a moment here in Ephesians to say, let's not forget that you are dead. You were laying on the bottom of the ocean. I didn't throw a life preserver to you and pull you in. I dove in and, and pulled your limp dead body. I actually made a graph. If anyone's kind of a graph person, this is a graph of what we contribute to our salvation is you and me and maybe us together in Jesus. He's all of it. It's 100% off the charts. I know for some of you, it's helpful that you see a little graph of the math, maybe for the math people. It's bad news, friends. It's really bad news. It's really important though that we sit in the bad news, right? That if we talk about this Jesus, that we can, we can understand this. I think if I tweeted this, I'd have to add like a little, you know, a little sad thumbs down. It's really bad news. Someone recently requested that I show more Bitmojis, probably just one of you, so I did. These are the Bitmojis I'd use to describe this. They're sad. I love this. I'm the worst person. I'm very sorry. It's very passive aggressive. <laughs> you said it to someone. You're waiting for the like, no, it's okay. <laughs> we're, 
we're broken. I think it's so important that we're, we, we stop in this place. And now maybe the tradition you grew up in or even your own history in your family or your own church history, this is not a surprise or not at all hard to get to. You go, I'm very well aware of how bad I am. And maybe for you, you go like, this seems a little harsh. It seems a little too much. We, I think we're pretty good. It's really important we hear this bad news because it really isn't good news or the gospel without this news. The story was that we were a bunch of like good, nice people. And then Jesus said, I want to hang out with you. That wouldn't be much different than any other story, any other religion, any other uh, belief system. We just kind of exchange obedience for stuff like every other system, the same system that people in Ephesus would have been living in and we live in now. I do this and then the gods do this or I do this and then the universe does this or I do this and people around me have to do this. This is a wild, wild story that we were dead and and helpless and useless and our God came. And here's just the, the hinting. We get hinting at this good news. Did you see this when we read through it? It actually didn't say you were dead. You are dead. It says you were dead. You used to, you used to live this way, right? You, were, you, you did run after the cravings of your flesh. We were. Even as you read that, hopefully you went like, yeah, it said that, but it said were. So what does that mean now for us? Just the next verse changes everything. This was really bad news. And verse four gives us the really good news. But because of his great love for us, you just heard this in the first chapter, but don't forget his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, saw all of us dead, deserving of wrath, separation and punishment for our sin. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It's a great verse to memorize if you're looking for a verse to memorize every day. Change your day every day. If you're reminded that you were dead and God came and did everything to to pull you out of that water, to throw your body onto the boat, to give you CPR, to bring life back to you. It's all on him. Have you ever heard the story of... um, of when insulin was first used. This, I always think of this when I think of this passage. In 1922, this is a ward in the Toronto General Hospital. There was a whole room of children who were dying um, of diabetes. Most of them were in comas. It said the room was just filled with families weeping and sitting with their children waiting for them to die. I could not imagine this. This is heartbreaking. Of course, watching... Families watch their children die. Then a group of scientists um, who had a form um, of purified insulin walked into the room. And so from just in a moment, one minute, people are crying and weeping and sniffling. There's literally children dying in a room with families and doors open and a group of doctors walk in for the first time with purified insulin. And they begin injecting it into children who are mostly in comas. It says by the time they reached the last kid in the room, kids were already waking up from their comas on the other side of the room. 
And he said there was a point where one side of the room was still sniffling and weeping while the other side was crying out in joy. Do you imagine this moment? And then suddenly the whole room came to life. He literally in the brink, brink of death, watching these children come to life, just laying there helpless, useless, dying to life. Is that incredible news? And we have the news that God has come and done that for all of us. What we thought was incurable disease of sin has been, has been taken from us and we've been given life. And this is where my friend Athanasius, I say friend like we're old buddies. I just have a shirt. That's all I have of him. I'm in his fan club on his Facebook page. That's really good news, but we have to know the bad news to know this good news. And Athanasius says this, uh, why it's so important to understand God came as a man and is also still God. There were thus two things which the Savior did for us by becoming man. Now he writes in, you know, old timey talk, so follow along. Two things he did. He banished death from us and made us anew and invisible and imperceptible as himself he is, he became visible through his works and revealed himself as the word of, of the father, ruler and king of the whole creation. He risked his life and fought hard because he said it's so important. Jesus came as a man because he's, he was God, but as a man, then he could come and he could experience, he, he wasn't sinful himself, but he could experience a life around broken people and what sin looks like. He could experience temptation he could feel all those things and then he could actually die. He actually could die on a cross. And then because he was God, he could actually raise from the dead and defeat death. He could actually take our fleshiness, our humanness. He had to be that so he could die for us. So that death that, that we deserved would be taken from us. We hear this in First Peter. He himself bore our sins. He took those on. He said, look at all these dead people. I'm going to take all that sin and transgression on myself. I'm going to inherit that. He took it in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. I'll take that. And then you're going to take my righteousness. The craziest exchange ever. Very unfair. Very gracious. Very incredible. So by his wounds, we have been healed. So his broken body... He, he becomes death so that we can become life. And as we end here, um, I'll welcome our worship team up. I, I love this. This is one of my favorite uh, things that Athanasius says in his writings on the incarnation. He says, in ancient times before the divine sojourn of the Savior took place. So before we see Jesus come, even to the saints, death was terrible. It is terrible. All wept for the dead as though they, were, they perished. So there was a time where we wept because we thought death had the final say. But now that the Savior has raised his body, death is no longer terrible. For all who believe in Christ trample on it as if it were nothing. Death goes from the, the most terrible, scariest thing, the most final thing, to now we trample on it. It's nothing. And we choose rather to die uh, than to deny their faith in Christ. He's actually referring to people who were being killed because they were claiming Christ as their Savior. Here's the part I love. And that devil that once maliciously exalted in death 
now that is, its pains were loosed, remain the only one truly dead. That king of the ruler of the air who once kind of ruled over the one who led us towards death, who marched us into our death, now is the only one who experiences death because of what Christ has done. This is really bad news that we are dead in our, our transgressions is bad and it only helps us understand how good the good news is that Christ has come and rescued us. A few things I want you to think about as we move to a time of singing and worship here together. Did you know that Jesus has taken your death and given you life? Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. He says, here, here's life. I'll take that death from you and I'll actually take it on a cross. Do you know that? Today's the day. If you don't know, that's, that's all we're asking. As a Christian, that's what we're asking someone to say yes to. Yeah, I believe Christ has died and risen. Maybe consider what cravings of the flesh or lies of the world you're believing today. What things do you still feel that you walk towards that continue to bring death and separation from God? Just consider who reminds you of this great truth, who helps you get in the word and reminds you of the bad news and the good news. And what a week you get to be this week, life to someone. Who this week will benefit from your life this week? You get to bring the life that Christ has given to you in your conversations and your actions as you sit with someone, maybe just listen to someone this week. You get to bring life to them and maybe a life for them that feels very deathly. Let me pray for us. We're gonna take some time to worship together. Um, Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness, your grace towards us, that while we were still sinners, while we were dead, you rescued us and brought life to us. As we sing these words, we would cry out to you that how good you really are. You didn't just fix broken people. You gave life, breath to those who were dead. I pray that our weeping and sniffling and mourning would turn to joyous celebration as we remember that good news, that we will not die, but we've been given life. That would change us this week. Um, Praise in your good name. Amen.